The singing of the doxology by the PCC student body begins Pensacola Christian College Chapel. At each chapel service, students have an opportunity to receive spiritual exhortation and enrichment during a time of music and meditation on God's Word. This podcast shares selected recent chapel messages from guest speakers, faculty, and staff. Welcome to the PCC Chapel Podcast. There are very few images of David that I have that picture him, King David, as one who was fearful. When you think of David, when I think of David, I'm reminded of the Sunday school lessons where we have young David fighting Goliath. And as he goes where none of the rest of the Israelite army go, he goes down, not having Saul's armor on. He takes those smooth stones and that sling, and he goes and conquers the giant Goliath. When I think of David, I think of David as one even younger than that who slays a bear and slays a lion, protecting his own father's sheep. Even when I see David discouraged in a cave, I think of King David as one who is not necessarily fearful at times, but sometimes downtrodden. Around David are his mighty men, and his throne is established in a physical sense with these mighty men who are ready to come to David's side at any time. In the point of battle, he has these men who will come and slay hundreds to one when it comes to the odds that are against them. I don't often see David as one who is cowering in fear. I see David as one who knows his enemy, and he knows that his God is able to defeat his enemy. I see David as one who is confident. Again, not always right, but I see David as one who is confident in his walk with the Lord and the fact that God has established him upon the throne of Israel. I see David, even after uh, the the sin with Bathsheba, as the Lord promises in David's repentance uh, to restore to David what would be the kingdom. Even as Nathan the prophet comes to David and, and begins to recite to David the promise that through David's seed would be an everlasting throne and an everlasting dominion and an everlasting kingdom. I see David in his life overall as one, even when he's weakened at the end of his age, at the end of his years, in his old age, I see David as one who is not necessarily fearful, though he, be, though he is weak. In your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn to the book of Psalms, specifically Psalm 64. And I'd like for us to take a look at a Psalm of David which might not give us a picture that we often think of when it comes to this king that God has established upon the throne. There were multiple times during the life of the nation of Israel during King David's reign, and there were multiple times during the life of King David where God had reconfirmed and reestablished the fact that God has placed David upon the throne and, and that David had the responsibility to make sure he was leading God's people correctly. But when we come to Psalm 64, we see a little bit of a different picture of David to start off with. We see David quietly in his prayer closet. We see David uttering a prayer that maybe few, if no one else had heard, outside of God having David write down these words for us today. Notice the prayer beginning in verse 1 of Psalm 64. 
Hear my voice, O God, in my prayer. Preserve my life from fear of the enemy. David, you've got 30 mighty men, and you've even got captains over them. You have a kingdom that's been established by God. You were a man, a king after God's own heart, a man after God's own heart. You were chosen by Samuel in the midst of all of your brothers that he could have chosen. God had chosen you to be king over God's people. David, God has done mighty things through you, whether it was mighty animals that were coming against the, 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 the flock of your fathers or whether it was mighty giants that were coming against the people of Israel. David, God has done great things through you. Yet in this moment, whatever was occurring in David's life, in the quietness of his own heart, the king of Israel, a man after God's own heart, was bowing the knee to his God and asking for him to be preserved from the fear of the enemy. I think it interesting here that the prayer that David prays is not to be free and preserved from the enemy, but rather the prayer is to be preserved from the fear of the enemy. I played basketball when I was in high school, and there were some teams that we played against, and, and we were a 4A high school right outside of San Antonio in the hill country. Uh, we were the Bernie Greyhounds, and they're still there, but uh, at the time, I'm no longer a Greyhound, but we were the Bernie Greyhounds. That was our mascot, and uh, we had, it was, it was a pretty good team for the size school that we had, um, but we were on the outskirts of San Antonio, and so there was a little bit of a, a different ability level between those that played in the hill country and those that played in the city. It's a big difference in ability. Uh, the scouts wouldn't come to Bernie to watch us play. Uh, the athletic scouts would come into San Antonio and watch the real teams play. And so as we would be playing, there would be some teams around the hill country there that when we saw them on the schedule, we knew that they desired to come and beat us, but we realized that the, the, the odds of that were pretty slim. There were schools that were smaller in size, and as we watched the tapes of, of them playing um, and, and began to study the opponents, we'd realize, you know what, we're, we're going to have a pretty easy time with this team. It's a 1A school or a 2A school or something like that, and, and, and they just weren't all that big. And so when we would come on the court, and it was natural for high schoolers to do this, once you become college students, these natural in, in, you know, inclinations, they go away. But when you're a high school student, you look at a team and you realize, we got this beat. We, we got them beat. There's no need for us to bring our fool on the court. So while the opponents are coming, and there's still our opponent on the scoreboard, it still said home team, greyhounds, and visitors. While they were still visitors, our opponents, who we were going to beat, there was very little fear that we had of some of these teams. Now, sometimes, as you well know, the underdogs defeat those that are favored to win, and that happened more than once. But I'll never forget the time we had come far in our program, and we had made it to various levels of the district and, and, and making it into the state playoffs sort of a arena, and we began playing teams that were well beyond the area of San Antonio. We played this one team, and realizing the size group that's here, I won't mention the, the, the high school, but they didn't have a high school name. 
and when we watched the footage of this team that we were about to go up against in, in the state playoffs, we were struck with their ability to move quickly. We were struck with their abilities to operate above the rim. And all, all of our fears watching the tape were very real when we actually saw them in person as we went to play them. Most of the people on that team had already signed scholarships for Division I schools in football. We weren't playing football. We were playing basketball. And yet they excelled even above our abilities. The enemy was there. The opponent was there. Just like the opponent was there on the teams that weren't so, uh, uh, weren't so talented. But our perspective was far different. We never prayed, Lord, deliver us from the opponent. We never asked the coach, coach, we don't want to play the team. But rather, let us go out there. And the coach was there to help us see that we are not to play in fear. Well, how much more so in our life when we see, like David here, an enemy come, we realize that outside of this life, we are going to be facing the enemy daily. You and I are not to pray for, for deliverance from the enemy, but rather the Lord would have us trust him in the presence of the enemy. God's desire for David in this prayer, as we'll see, is that God desires David to trust him while still living in the presence of adversity. Look what happens as we come into verse 2. And I think it's very helpful for us to be able to see where our fear comes from and, and where did David's fear come from? What caused him to fear the enemy? As he's praying, Lord, deliver me from the fear. I realize the enemy will always be here, but Lord, I am fearful. Why was David so fearful? And if we can pinpoint why the fear is there, then we can begin to make steps to address it. What brings fear in your life? What is it that's an adversity in your life right now? What brings about fear? Is it fear of disappointing others? Is it, fear, is it the fear of being made fun of? Is it, a, is it the fear of not succeeding? Is it the fear of not knowing what your next step is? Is it the fear of the future? Is it the fear of your classes for tomorrow or the next day? Is, is it the fear of what's going to happen next week? Is it the fear of a roommate? Is it the fear of a family member? What brings about fear in your life? Well, as we come to verse 2, we find out why David was fearing. Notice what David prays in verse 2. Hide me from the secret counsel of the wicked, from the insurrection of the workers of iniquity, who wet their tongue like a sword and bend their bows to shoot their arrows, even bitter words, that they may shoot in secret at the perfect. Suddenly do they shoot at him and fear not. When David prays to God and says, God, deliver me from the fear of the enemy, David begins to describe why he is fearful. And from verses 2 through 4, we see that David's fear came from knowing that the enemy prepares and that the enemy thinks nobody can stop them. Boy, when, when you think you're unstoppable, what kind of courage does that give you? 
When you think that no one can stop you, what kind of confidence does that have? And David is looking at his enemy and he's saying they are full of confidence. They are unstoppable. Look in verse 4 and all of the preparation at the end of verse 4, he said they don't fear. There is no fear with the enemy. They are confident in what they're doing. They have prepared and they don't think anybody can stop them. For those of you that have played sports or even involved in sports in any kind, you realize that half of the, the strength of a team is simply the display of confidence. And that display of confidence can arouse fear in the opponent. Notice here in verses 2 through 4, as the enemy hide, uh, as the enemy have their secret counsel, and as they work the insurrection, as they wet their tongue, and, and they begin to use their words as arrows, in verse 4, the enemy have the perception that they have no fear. And that, in turn, breeds fear in the life of David. So do you know what David begins to think? David begins to think exactly what the enemy already is thinking. We're unstoppable. And David begins to apply that same attribute of them being completely unconquerable, and he applies it to the, to the enemy. And how many times do we, as we fear things, we see that there's no one that can stop this from happening. No one can stop this from coming. This is completely inevitable. Uh, this is the way that we're headed. The stock market's going to go down. The world's going to be in turmoil. My life is going to turn into a mess. I'm going to fail this class. She's going to say no. My parents aren't going to like this. And we assume automatically when we begin fearing things, we assume a nature about those adversities that our adversary desires us to assume. You are going to fail, and there's nothing that can stop it. And when we begin to believe what our opponent, what our adversary already thinks, we also will be like David, Lord, preserve me from the fear of the enemy. Lord, they look like they're entirely unstoppable. None can stop them in their planning. None can stop them in the execution of their plans. They begin to speak, but then as they speak with confidence, their actions follow. Do you know what sometimes our worst enemy is? It becomes ourselves, isn't it? We begin to talk ourselves out of things, or, or we begin to talk ourselves into despair, into hopelessness. How can God ever use me? I have done. Or how can God ever use me in the future for this is what I am? And, and how can this ever come right? Because this is how I am made. And, and as we look at these things, we begin to attribute to even ourselves the fact that we can't change. But that's not what this psalm is going to focus on. David comes and says, Lord, pray, or I'm praying that you would deliver me from the fear of the enemy because the enemy thinks it's unstoppable and so do I. Look what happens in verse 5. They encourage themselves in an evil manner. They commune of laying snares privily. They say, who shall see them? They search out iniquities. They accomplish a diligent search. Both the inward thought of every one of them and the heart is deep. 
David says, Lord, deliver me from the fear of the enemy because the enemy thinks they're unstoppable. But notice in verses four, uh, 5 and 6 that the enemy also thinks that nobody can see them. They go unnoticed. They encourage themselves in an evil manner. They lay, they, they lay snares privily. They search out, they accomplish a diligent search. They believe that nobody sees them. And sometimes we fear because we don't believe anybody sees our enemy. Again, sometimes our enemies are very much our own selves. And, well, who sees us better than us, right? Well, you don't know what I'm going through. Well, you don't understand the past that I've had. You don't understand how those words hurt me. And we fear because we believe that our enemy is not seen by anybody. They, in their success, it increases. Notice in verse 5, they encourage themselves. David says as he looks at his enemies, not only do they encourage themselves, but their momentum builds. They commune and they lay snares privily. They lay out traps to snare those that they're seeking to harm. And their desires grow. They search out iniquities, we're told in verse 6. And then their efforts multiply. They accomplish a diligent search. All of these ways, when David says, deliver me from the fear of the enemy, it's not that the enemy itself and himself is bad. It's not that David's praying for a fear from the presence of the enemy. But Lord, deliver me from the fear of the enemy. Help me not to live in fear. In fear of what later on today holds. In fear of what later on tomorrow holds. In fear of what the future holds. In fear of what's going to become of me. In fear of what's going to become of the world. Lord, help me not to live in fear because I need to remember that though my enemy and my adversary think that none can stop them, and though my enemy and adversary think that none can see them, I am not to put that attribute on my enemy. Whether my enemy is the adversary, Satan who seeks to destroy God's people, or whether the enemy, the adversary, is the world or the flesh, I am not to attribute to them the fact that they're not able to be conquered and they're not able to be seen. But that is the perception that the enemy gives. So David, in his prayer closet, is praying, Lord, deliver me from, preserve me from the fear of the enemy. Well, how do you do that? I've already mentioned that the enemy is strong, but they're not unconquerable. The enemy is subtle, but they're not unseeable. Look how you and I are to gain victory, beginning in verse 7. The two qualities of those attributes that bring fear is that they're unconquerable and that they're unseeable. But when we come to verse 7, we find that the enemy are very much seen. But God shall shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly shall they be wounded. Now, when you think about fighting in a battle, you don't just draw a bow and just hope it lands somewhere. You're going to aim and shoot, and you're going to aim at things you can see. What does God do here in verse 7? The Bible declares that God shall shoot at them with an arrow and suddenly shall they be wounded. 
The enemy might think that it's unseeable, but God sees, doesn't he? He sees. And so when David says, Lord, preserve me from the fear of the enemy, one of the areas that you and I can gain and when it comes to instruction as to not living in fear is the fact that God does see our enemy. And that enemy might be your adversary, the devil. The enemy might be the world. And by the way, the enemy might be your flesh as well. And God knows it. God knows. Victory over fear of the enemy comes from remembering that God is in the midst of the battle. And you know who he's fighting for? He's fighting for you. He's fighting for me. When there's an enemy that's there, God is on my side fighting for me. I'm desiring to live right. Does that mean that I'll always do what's right? No. But as I come before my God and I say, God, preserve me from the fear of the enemy. As I look at them, they are so subtle. They creep into my life. Nobody sees it and it hurts me and it harms me. And I don't want to do this. Lord, it seems like they are completely invisible. And the God who is the God of all creation says, no, I see them. I will fight for you in your midst. Victory over fear of the enemy comes from remembering that God is in the midst fighting for his own. God does see the enemy that believes they're unseeable. But then look in verse 8. So they shall make their own tongue to fall upon themselves. All that see them shall flee away. Do you remember what the first characteristic of of that enemy that brought fear to the life of David is the fact that they're unstoppable. They accomplish their plans. They're able to succeed. If, If they want to come destroy here, they'll come destroy here. If they want to come fight over here, they'll fight and they'll be victorious. And one of the attributes that caused fear in the life of David is the fact that the enemy is unconquerable. But when we come to verse 8, we see that the enemy is not only unconquerable, but the victory over the fear of the enemy comes from remembering that God will stop them. That God will stop them. Notice in verse 8, they will not only stop, but they will flee away. Verse 9, not only will their ways come to naught when God stops them, but God's ways will come to pass. And all men shall fear and shall declare the work of God, for they shall wisely consider of his doing. This is incredible. So as David is praying in his prayer closet, he doesn't utter his complaint before God and leave it before God. God, it's up to you to preserve me, so I'm going to go and preserve me. No, as David is praying this, he says, Lord, deliver me, preserve me from the fear of the enemy. The enemy appears to be unstoppable and the enemy appears to be unseeable. But I know that you can stop them and I know that you can see them. When you and I come to the Lord in the midst of such circumstances to where we are living in fear, whatever that fear may be, it is not enough just for us to come before the Lord in the quietness of our own heart and say, Lord, preserve me, and then expect the Lord to do great things without us ever considering who he is. When you and I come to the Lord in prayer, God desires to speak to us through his word. And as David is considering all that God has done, 
he is reminded that if he is to have victory over the fear of the enemy, it's to come from remembering that God is in the midst fighting for him. If he's to have victory over the fear of the enemy, and he needs to remember that God will stop them. And then look in verse 10. Victory over fear of the enemy will always result in the Lord being glorified. The righteous shall be glad in the Lord and shall trust in him. And all the upright in heart shall glory. When you and I are living in the bondage of fear, and by the way, it is a bondage, isn't it? When you and I are living in the bondage of fear, we will attribute to our adversary qualities that should not be attributed to them. We will attribute strength where they ought not to be attributed strength. We will attribute subtlety where subtlety ought not be attributed. We will attribute to our enemy more than what we would attribute to God and his ability to conquer that enemy. And as David comes, Lord, deliver me from the fear. Preserve me, I should say, from the fear of the enemy. He is asking God to help him live in the midst of the enemy without being fearful. Now, college student, this goes a long way to helping us know how to live for the Lord. Whether the enemy is your adversary, the devil, Satan, that father of lies, and he comes toward us, we know that we're not to have the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We're to understand that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we're to remember the, the, the picture, the image, and the lesson given by the Lord Jesus Christ when he was tempted in the wilderness to have the word of God ready, hidden in our hearts, that we might not sin against our Savior. Sometimes that enemy is the world in which we live. We see the instability of our times, both politically and economically. We see the instability and we begin to be concerned. Will there be a job for me when I graduate? Where am I going to live? Is this nation going to be the nation I desire it to be for my kids and my grandkids? Is this world, as it's getting worse and worse, are we going to start facing things we've never faced before? And we live in fear. It could be the fear of the semester. Not only have we got all of our syllabi already, but we're in the throes of classes now. The beginning was a little bit light. Our teachers were easy on us. They deceived us. Drop ad is over. They know that we're stuck with them. And so now that you're getting into the midst of the semester, and all of your tasks and responsibilities are beginning to pile up and you fear, will I succeed? Will I be strong? Will I be able to do this? Fear will lead nowhere but to bondage and failure. You and I might not be like David, who's seen God do mighty physical things in our life. But you and I are exactly like David in that we face enemies every single day. You and I are not calling on God to release us from the presence of our enemies. 
We're asking God, would you please work with us? Preserve me from fearing the enemy. For you're fighting for me because you see me. And you are the king of all kings and you can stop them. And Lord, when it's all said and done, I realize I'm not going to be the one that receives the glory for this. You will. May it be the desire of our hearts to live not fearing whatever your enemy may be, but confident that God is working in you to accomplish his purpose. You've been listening to a message from Pensacola Christian College Chapel. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College, empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.